welcome to another episode of Where You Are. It is Sunday, November the 22nd, and I'm sitting here with Fox Williams, my brilliant editor. How are you today, Fox? Feeling brilliant. Thank you. Thank you should you. feel brilliant because you are brilliant. And tonight, you've been working on editing and finishing up the episode, the interview with Janina Nobles. And I want to talk about what we've been doing for the last two weeks since the last podcast. What have you been up to, Fox? Well, I got a new job. So Yay! Clap. It's a good job. It's a good paying job. It has benefits, which is nice. And I hope to start at the end of the month. And it should be good. I've also been working on, on my personal audio parlor podcast. I'm late getting an episode out for that because this work thing showed up, but I'll get shame, it out. Shame, shame. I'm trying to be kind to myself. I'm kidding. Well, I'll get it fixed. It's you good. will. I went up last weekend to DeSoto State Park to the Creative Spirit Festival, I think is what it's called. And my friend slash former student, Emily Kirby, had some artwork there, some Dolly Parton artwork on display. It was outdoors, socially distanced, with masks. And it was really great to see Emily and meet some of her friends that she... I see con I see her talking about her friends on social media, but I've never met them. So it was really nice to go up there. It was a beautiful day. The weather was great. They'd already reached their peak the weekend before in terms of the leaves changing and all that. So most of the leaves had already fallen. But if you're able to get up to that area, to DeSoto State Park, it is just gorgeous. They have some cabins up there. I really think we should go stay there. I would like that. It also made me a little nostalgic for Marion Military Institute, because that's where Emily and I met when she was a student there. I just have so many memories of that place. Six years I worked there. So I think that once this pandemic is over, the next one-man show that I do will be about my experience at Marion. And I think really when I finish working in the system altogether, the first thing I want to do is probably do a really in-depth look at my time there because, boy, did I go through some things there. Trial by fire, you know, we all became close, close in that way that you, that bo those bonds that you form with people where you're fighting a fight together. I do, I do miss those students. They were something else, those cadets. But that was my nostalgia for MMI, and it's always, so it's always good to see Emily. Yeah. I love her. So I have been reading a lot of good books and watching a lot of good TV and movies and listening to music. There is this great playlist on Spotify that I discovered by following R&B Soul Gold. That's R-N-B, three letters, Soul Gold. I follow that account on Instagram and discovered the playlist through that, and it's a thousand greatest hits of soul and neo soul and R&B. It's really, really cool. What have you been listening to these days or reading? I found a movie on Netflix that came well recommended from a writer I appreciate on Twitter. The movie is by the director of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, among other things, but that's the credit that I recognized. It's called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It was made for Netflix and released this year. It is it is a dreamlike movie in the same sense that Eternal Sunshine and his other movies have been. It is about a relationship on the rocks, very, very close to disintegrating as as the girl in the relationship is taken to the guy's parents' house, not really knowing how she's going to get out of this. Yeah. And I really appreciated it. I really liked it. It is a very fun story in the sense of there's a tension to it that I really appreciated. Uh, you could, you, there, it's a good cringe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a sense of empowerment and disempowerment that gets played with that. Granted, I'm, I'm a cis white man here. I've, but I was able to appreciate it to a certain extent as, sure. an, as an academic intellectual exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I've been reading Dolly Parton's autobiography from 94 called My Life and Un Other Unfinished Business and Mariah Carey's memoir that just came out this year, The Meaning of Mariah, which is very personal and so open and she's so vulnerable in in that that book. I've really enjoyed reading that. I've read the Dolly Parton book before when I was younger, but well, back in the late 1900s. Sure. Uh, but it's it's bringing back a lot of things I'd forgotten. What about Thanksgiving? I'm not going home. I'm Neither not going am I. home. Let me just tell you a secret. I hate Thanksgiving anyway. I don't like big family gatherings. It's not that I don't love my family. I love my mother, my sister, my niece, all those people, but I just have always despised Thanksgiving. 
I don't despise the concept of being thankful. Let's get this straight. I just don't like the holiday. And I had actually gotten to this really great place with my mom where we just meet at Cracker Barrel the day of Thanksgiving. We spend a few hours together and then we both go back home. And I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. We're not doing that this year, though. The last Thanksgiving, I distinctly remember, I took charge of all the cooking, and mm. I lo- and I had it set out. You know me; I'm a meti- I'm a meticulous person when I can't when I can be. I laid it out like a machine. I had hours upon hours ready. We were going to make a macaroni dish that year that was going to be from scratch and was going to be really good. And then the one thing I asked my mom to do because she she's getting older, she was tired. The one thing I asked her to do was to make the pasta itself that we would then put the cheese over. She made twice as much and said, oh, we'll just spread it out. It just tasted like pasta at the end. (laughs) The cheese was so dilute, and I was so upset. Well, I do wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I do hope that no one goes and gets sick over the holidays. But let's talk about Janina Nobles, who is just a wonderful person. She runs the child development program at the college where we work, program that continues to grow and thrive. And I have gotten to know and admire her over the last few years as both a colleague and a friend. And so I wanted to have her on the show to share what a great experience it is to get to know her. She's funny. She's multi-talented. She's smart. She's sincere. She's just beautiful inside and out. And the whole point of this podcast is to share with the world people who are lights in their communities, their workplaces, their world. And Janina is a light. So I hope that everyone will listen as we discuss pretty much everything, Fox, right? Oh, yes. So enjoy this interview with the wonderful Janina Nobles. All right. Well, I am here with Janina Nobles, Dr. Janina Nobles. I work with Janina. We have worked with Janina now for about five years, I guess. Yeah, we, this is the start of year five. Yeah, and we started getting to know each other better probably a few years ago. And I thought it would be great to have you on the podcast so I could just pick into your life and find out more about you because I think you're so interesting and you're responsible for this entire program at school. And I don't know, you just have such a great personality and you have so many interests. And I just want to find out everything I can about you. So I appreciate you doing the podcast. Well, thank you for asking me. I'm excited. Yeah, I want to know more about your journey. You know, it's interesting when you get to know people at work, sometimes you don't, you know, there's that personal work boundary, and sometimes we go back and forth a little bit, but I really think that you have a fascinating life. I want to know about your journey. Where were you born, and where were you, where were you raised? I am born and raised in Mobile, Alabama. All my family is there. As you know, Mobile is the birthplace of Mardi Gras. People from Mobile to that horn, like, don't get it twisted. It is Mobile, not New Orleans. Uh Um, (laughs) But I'm originally from Mobile. All my family is there. And it's a beautiful place if you haven't had a chance to go down there. Just beautiful people. Very, um, people talk about melting pots. But that was one thing that I loved about being down there because you truly did have different types of people. I mean, I had friends that were Vietnamese because there's a large Vietnamese population down there. I had friends that were uh, Native American that, you know, went to school with me. And then you had your Caucasian and your African-American and then your mix of all four. (laughs) And so it's truly one of those places that has a lot of different influences. So you went kindergarten through 12th grade down there in Mobile. Yes. And what was little Janina into in school? Were you, what what were your interests? Were you athletic? Were you a nerd? Were were, were you a cheerleader? (laughs) Well, um, what was I into? The early years, I, like a lot of children, thought I was going to be in entertainment. I love to sing and dance. And that was, gosh, up through elementary years. When I got to elementary, well, to middle school, I started running track. I always loved cheering, but didn't get an opportunity to actually be on a squad until I was in high school. I was fascinated with all things cheer. So I cheered from my 10th through 12th grade year of high school. And then I coached a year, my first year of college, I coached at my high school. And then my sophomore year of college, I cheered collegially at the community college. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. 
I did, and I absolutely loved it. One thing that's a tidbit that most people don't know is that when I was in elementary school, my mom, there was a program in Mobile called Culture in Black and White, and it was a program that exposed you to the arts. It was housed at the community college in my area. There were classes in theater, drama, and modeling, and charm and poise, and ceramics, music, tap, jazz, ballet. And I participated from the time I was in elementary school up through high school in this community organization. Wow. And it was something that was, I really wish it still existed today because those were like lifelong lessons that I took kind of through my journey through the years and it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a huge influence on me. Oh, that sounds fascinating and so important for, for young people, I think. And two, the, I love the aspect of Southern class, if, if I should maybe word it that way, that charm and poise piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lost art. Most women have never been taught how to walk downstairs, you know, appropriately. Oh, there's a certain way to walk downstairs. Yes. How you know, you like, so that? there's different the little things. No, we didn't do that. We didn't do <laughs> the book on the head thing. But it was one of those things where I learned things, etiquette things that when I was in different circles as an adult, I knew what which fork was the salad fork and which was the dinner fork. And, you know, but it was from those experiences in the charm and poise classes in culture and black and white, which was a community-based program that I'm still used today. When I lived in Marion for a short while, when I was teaching down there, I learned a lot about sort of, sort of Southern etiquette, especially in terms of dinner parties and, and expectations. You're probably the kind, Janina, who sends thank you cards, are you not? I do. Yeah, that's great. I, I do. If, if, if I was to get something, you know, my mom and I were just talking about that the other day. I had a, a relative that sent me a card for graduation. And I never received the card. And so they were really kind of hurt because they never received the card. And my mom was like, I promise you, she would have gotten it. She would have sent you a thank you card (laughs) because I'm the one that I have my initial thank you cards. And as soon as I get something, I'll do that thank you card and put that stamp on there. And I handwrite thank you cards. And so I have my own stationery. So yeah, I'm I'm that girl. (laughs) I love that. So are are you... An only child, or do you have brothers and sisters? I am not the only child. I am the oldest. I have a younger brother. Uh, He's five years younger, and he's in Mobile. Okay. And so, um, so it's just the two of us. I want to know what you were like in college. Where did you go to college? To your undergraduate. So, well, I started off at Bishop State Community College in Mobile, Uh and I attended there for two years, and then I transferred to the University of Alabama. And so my undergrad and my master's actually was at the University of Alabama. What years were you at University of Alabama? We've talked about this, but I don't remember. 1998 to 2002. Okay. Is while I was there. And that was for both programs. Oh, wow. You, oh, because you had two years already at Bishop. <laughs> and let's, let me tell you a little tidbit about that. Please. I purposely did not go as a freshman. Because I absolutely, absolutely hated Tutwiler dorm. At the time, Tutwiler, where every freshman girl lived in Tutwiler. I'm a germaphobe, just a tad bit. Pre-COVID germaphobe. The community bathrooms freaked me out. And the fact that I grew up cooking with my grandmother. And I've been cooking since I was a little girl. And you didn't have your own kitchen. And you had kitchens on like every other floor that you had to share with people. I purposely did not go as a freshman because of that reason. Because my mom said she saw it. It reminded me of good times. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, "Mm -mm." and so I purposely would not go until I had enough hands for hours to transfer. I don't blame you. I I went to Montevallo for like three months and quit in 93. And the reason was because I hated those communal showers. There were no stalls. It was like just spigots all along the wall. And you just, no. No privacy, no nothing. So you're trying to take showers in the middle of the night when you're trying to time it when nobody's at, you know, where people are either sleep or drunk, right? 
Exactly. So. <laughs> but I ended up at UA the next year and I, we were, we didn't know each other, but I was there in 98 and 99. I graduated in December of, of 99. It took me five years to get my undergrad. I wasn't quite the go-getter that you were, Janina. <laughs> well, hey, but you know what? My mom always said, it doesn't matter whether you finish first or last, long as you finish. Right. Now, so. what did you, what did you do in college? What was your undergraduate degree in? Let's see. Well, I what I finished in or what I started in. Oh, what did you start in? I started off in marketing. Okay, I can see that. I was in I was in marketing in high school. I was in DECA. Loved marketing. I was in retail in high school and in college. And I wanted to be a retail buyer first for like sets. That was the goal. I, I was working for Parisians. If anybody remembers Parisians. I remember Parisian. Oh my gosh. Southern class right there, Parisian, yeah. right? That's where you went. But I worked at Parisians, loved it, and loved the visual design piece. I liked stage and the mannequins and like merchandising and things. So I, you know, I did it in high school and then said, well, okay, marketing is cool. I like it in, you know, in high school, got in it in college, hated it. Oh. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> When I say hated it, Jimmy, I cried. I cried. Oh, no. I was miserable. I took accounting, stats, and econ the same quarter. Mm. And mm. my mom worked in accounting, and it just did not make sense to me. I didn't like it. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I started off marketing. When I was accepted to Alabama, I was marketing. And then my day of orientation, while I was doing my placement exams, my parents came to orientation with me. Some lady talked to my parents while I was testing. To this day, don't know who this lady was. But, you know, like people just chit-chatting in the hallway while you're waiting on someone. They told my parents, they were talking about, you know, what do you like? What, what does she like? What does she, you know, what is she into? What's her major? Whatever. And my parents, my mom was just talking to this lady you know, my mom's like, she really likes psychology and, you know, she's, you know, she's in marketing, but she likes psychology. She loves it. Da, 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 da. The lady said she should look into human environmental sciences. I think human development and family studies might really be a good fit for her. Had never heard about it before. So I come out of the exam and we pull out the catalog and it was like a light bulb. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Literally right after we finished lunch at the FERG, instead of going to the business school, I went over to HES and it was the best decision I ever made. Wow. That is really amazing. Yep. I wish I knew who that lady was. I know. I was, she was like an angel because if not, I would have started in the marketing program at Alabama and probably been miserable. She was an angel and she probably doesn't even doesn't know even it. know it. Yeah. That's when that happens so often in life too. People don't realize what they've done for other people. Exactly. Um, there's a great line in, in a song and I'll think of it later and, and after the podcast and, but it's a Jackson Brown song about that very thing. Like you don't know what your legacy is going to be. You don't know how you influence people. She doesn't know that she did that for you. She has no idea. Never met me. So you got there, you got into, you got away from marketing and you had your own apartment. I'm taking it where you cook your own food. I lived in Rose Towers. Oh, Rose Towers. My, yeah. My first year. So I had a Japanese roommate. Oh, cool. And they also end up placing my cousin. I did not request anybody. I just kind of went in blind. They actually placed me with my cousin that was also from Mobile. Wow. So so my cousin and I and my Japanese roommate that was there, she was an exchange student with a English program where her program was, she was taking English courses in America because she was going to teach English in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really cool experience. So I stayed on campus one year. I moved six times in one year. Oh my goodness. Then I got an apartment off campus the next year. <laughs> now, were you in a sorority at, at Alabama? I was not. Okay. I was not Greek. I'm Greek now, but I was not Greek undergrad. Gotcha. Were you Greek and, in grad school? Is that how that worked? Well, no. So with how this you know, works. <laughs> it is different for your historically black, your panhellenic organizations. Okay. So with our organizations, they have grad chapters. And so membership is life is, is lifelong. And so I did not pledge, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. 
I didn't pledge until I've been in the organization 10 years now. Oh, wow. 2010, it was the year that I actually pledged Delta. And it's very different than your traditional undergrad with your, you know, traditional white organizations where you go through a bid process. And then after you graduate college or after you leave college, that your, your sorority fraternity days are kind of behind you. It's a little bit different with, with the Black organizations because it's a lifetime, lifelong lifetime membership. Yeah, I know our mutual, our colleague Zanja was talking the other day. She had been on some conference call with her sorority for several hours one day, I think. <laughs> so that's, that's, that is quite different than a lot of the white, or any of the white fraternities, sororities that I know of. You know, it's a little different now because of, of course, COVID. Everything's different because of COVID. But a lot of social action, a lot of community service, a lot of educational services that go along financial literacy, so many things, mentoring and programs for youth, for young girls, for high schoolers, transitioning scholarships and different things. There is a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And one beautiful thing is organizations like Delta and a lot of your historically Black organizations and your sororities and fraternities, your Panhellenic councils, they're out there doing the work a lot of manpower, you know, and there's always power in numbers. And so, and woman um, power, <laughs> it is. And so like when I was online, I had women in their sixties online with me. Wow. Yeah. So we had from your, you know, early 20 year olds to 60 plus year olds. Yeah. The thing that I think is so beautiful with your sororities and fraternities is the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the legacy of leadership, of community, and helping others. And I think that's that's at the heart of just about every organization that's affiliated with the Black sororities and fraternities. And so I think that is so important. I mean, like, oh, absolutely, especially in today's times, it's vital. So you joined that in uh, Delta, is that right? Mm-hmm, Delta. In t- 2010. Well, those colors are Crimson and cream, yes. But what were you doing in, so let's say like you finished your undergrad, you went straight into your master's program, I'm assuming. Yeah. So how were you, what were you like socially during those years? Since you weren't in a sorority, were you, did you have 5,000 friends or did you have one close friend? What was it like for you there in Tuscaloosa? I was very focused. When I left Mobile and went off to school, I worked three jobs and went to school full time. Wow. So I literally left one job went to the other and, you know, left one and went to another. So I worked and my thing was why they were partying and not taking school seriously. For me, I was like, you guys are partying with these hamburgers and hot dogs. I want to be able to party with steak and potatoes. There you go. And and so I wouldn't go out until I was done with my studies or I had gotten to a certain point to where I felt comfortable. So I, I didn't, I prioritized it because I was like, hey, I'm paying this student loans at the Wazoo. I'm, I, I don't have a choice. And so I was focused. And I will say some of those people still didn't graduate. I finished with two degrees. I did party now. Let's not. <laughs> For the record, <laughs> I went out, I partied, but it was one of those things where it was in, it was a priority thing for me. Well, you came from the land of Mardi Gras, so I'm sure you know how to party. Well, you know, you're supposed to be able to party and keep it moving. That's right. So, <laughs> so that's what I did. I partied and kept it moving and I'll tell you a funny story. So some of my friends and I, one of the first things I was told before I left to go off to college, you know, kind of like the safety rules, you know, be careful when you go to these frat parties or you go to these parties, they put the date rape drug in your drinks, you know, all these different things that I had, like my cousins and older family members just kind of saying, you know, how to maneuver and how not to get yourself in a situation when you go out of college. Mm-hmm. And so they would laugh. But we would never drink anything when we'd go to parties. I would have an entire bar in my trunk. <laughs> and if we wanted a drink, we, had, we would go to Sonic and get the Route 66 
ocean water, the big one. Yes. And I would go to the ABC store and get the rum and the vodka. <laughs> and we would mix drinks in the in my at the at, at my trunk. And we would all have a cup that had a lid. You could not have a cup that didn't have a lid on it. Mm-hmm. Because again, safety issues. And so they were like, we've never seen people that just brought their own stuff with them like that. But it was an issue of safety yeah. versus, you know, I know what went in that cup versus I'm not drinking out of some community punch bowl that I don't know what you, what you put in the punch. Exactly. So you were just tending bar out of your, tr- out of your trunk. What's one? I'm moonlight. I have, a, see, Jimmy, I have a lot of little things that I do. I do. Yeah. I got, I'm a, I'm an unlicensed <laughs> um, uh, bartender. <laughs> you, you can mix a drink. Oh yeah, I got you. <laughs> got you on the drink. When COVID's over, I'm coming over so you can mix me a drink. I didn't take you as the the cocktail type. I took you as the wine type. No, I don't like wine. You I mean, I'll drink it. I don't drink a lot, first of all, at all. But if I'm going to drink, I'd rather have like some kind of whiskey drink. I like a beer, but not those. I know everybody likes those real thick beers now. I don't like those. I. When I was in college, I drank one or two like Bud Lights and I was out on the dance floor being crazy. That was me. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a light drinker. So see, I learned something new. Cause see, I was thinking, I was thinking you were more of the wine type because you and I talked about wine. I do. I'll drink wine and I like it. And I know, you know, a little bit about it from people that I know who love wine. So, and I buy wine for other people. But you like a good, a good whiskey. Oh Yeah. I do. That's my favorite. If I'm going to drink, and I, again, I really don't drink a lot, but I love if I'm sitting around with people and we're having conversation or there's music playing and we're out, you know, somewhere, something dark, like a whiskey, I don't know, or Jack and Coke even is fine with me, you know? Gotcha. See, I'm getting more into the whiskeys. That's my new vein right now. My whiskeys and my bourbons. I'm, I'm yeah. diversifying my palate. <laughs> You know, I got cracked up when we were doing a Zoom with some people from work one day. It was Zanja and Lindsay and and Carrie and some other people, but they were showing, oh, maybe it was just in a chat or something, but they were sending pictures of all of their stash, their alcohol. They made fun of me because I had one bottle of, I think it's rum. Is that what, Fox has rum in the house. That's about all we have. I mean, with a name like Fox, he has to have rum. That's right. I mean, I, I could see, you know, with a name like Fox, there are drinks that you automatically think. Yeah. You know, okay, so in my head, <laughs> I see Fox as kind of like a James Bond. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's how I see Fox. It's the name. <laughs> it's the name, but I love it, though. Yeah. I mean, I, hey, let me get my own picture in my head because, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's fun in there. So <laughs> <laughs> You keep that picture in your head. <laughs> You have all these talents that we don't know about. Your bartender, your what else are some some things that you are expert at that that the rest of the world isn't, or that we might not know about at work? Uh, expert, I wouldn't say expert that you enjoy, that you're good at. I love to cook. Oof. I love to bake. I'm a lefty, and so there are, are times every so many weeks where I have to be creative. I have to. When I feel myself getting anxiety or getting too much in my head, I will have to, and I'll say out loud, I have to do something creative. I have to do something with my hands. I have to, you know, I got to do something different. So this was the last creative thing. This is my wreath that I did for Christmas. It's beautiful. Thanks. Oh my gosh, those colors are beautiful. So these are my Christmas colors. Oh, wow. So I don't do traditional Christmas colors, but no, this is my wreath that's going up on the, up on the door. I'm going to get a screenshot. Oh, unless you don't want to share it until it's time, but oh, uh, you can. people need to see that. I mean, what is that? Pink and. It's pink, lavender? purple, and turquoise. Pink, tur- purple, and turquoise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's Thank huge you. too. Yeah. It, it's bigger than I thought it was going to be, but I sat down one night and just decided, hey, I'm going to do this. So this is going up this month. I like tinkering. That's probably something that's most surprising to people that I like to tinker. I I have my toolbox and my drill and I like putting stuff together and working on stuff. So since COVID, I power washed or pressure washed my 
fence. I saw that. It looks great. Thanks. It, it took me two months to do it, but oh. but it was a good way to blow off some steam, literally and figuratively. Yeah. I don't do a lot of outside work, but I loved doing that. I put furniture together. That's the most recent thing <laughs> I did. Is I finished the kids' room. I bought a chest to put in the kids' room. I really wish I could take like a, a woman's carpentry class. Oh. I would love to like learn how to build and do some things. I know someone who's doing that down at uh, Darlene, my friend Darlene, it works down in uh, South Alabama and she loves it. I think she's going to take a break during COVID, but before that. I would love to do that just to be able to, you know, I have a little bit of knowledge, mm-hmm. but if I ever had the skill set to go with my excitement to do it, my mom said I would be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> she's like you be making furniture and coming into your house and you got this whole armoire that you created or something but I love power tools that that's surprising about that most people are kind of surprised by they were like you're a girly girl but I was like uh, I am a girly girl but I'm a girly girl that loves her some power tools you are interesting you're 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 a study because at first, my first impression of you is that you're very like a debutante sort of, you know, like etiquette and, you know, perfectionist and, you know, all that stuff, whatever. But then I found out all these other things about you that you're just very well-rounded as a person. It's fascinating. I, I try. I try because the people like, you know, they were like, okay, you're a girly girl, but I love sports. I'll sit and watch when I get into a sport the nerd in me comes out and I will go through just to give you an example. I like football. Okay. One of my favorite parts about football is I like to watch the combine and I like draft. I like draft the draft weekend. Mm -hmm. And I usually have a notepad and I'm usually running stats on the players that are drafted. So I know how many players for what position at the SEC went where. Because I don't have a quote-unquote team that I follow. I usually follow, you know, first and foremost, of course, Alabama players. But, (laughs) um, you know, I'll have this whole two or three-page sheet, and I will watch every round of the draft, and I will jot down where they went. And this year was a little different because not only did I jot down where they went, I was really interested to see how many Black coaches and GMs were in the NFL. That was stuff I was jotting down too, because I was like, you know, I'm interested to see if there's a way for me to be able to, as a spectator, really look more into those teams. Since I don't have a quote unquote team that I, I follow, it intrigued me yeah. to say, okay, you know, well, one, we already know it's a, you know, disproportionate number to start out with, which is ridiculous. But kind of maybe look at those as being my teams. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, see, one thing that does seem to run through everything that you do is that you're very like logical, but you're smart. I don't know. There's something very meticulous about your brain. Like you do like to keep order of things. And that was what makes you such a good advisor at school. You're like probably one of the best advisors I've ever known. I'm, I try, (laughs) but you're just so meticulous about everything and follow up on everything. And track things down and you give really good advice. So that's something I think that runs through everything that you do. Well, thank you. And I think that that's probably, you know, I I am kind of, you know, meticulous and organized and structured. And for whatever reason, it's like, it's an underlining theme on both my creative side and my analytical side. Mm-hmm. When you think of yourself, it's interesting, you know, because we found e- we found each other through work, and so sometimes, you know, your work, your comment, your the thing that you have in common sort of defines your friendship a little bit. But the more I get to know you, I, I, I'm hoping someday that we just move beyond just being work friends. You know, I think we're I'm going to come hang out at your house when COVID is over, whether you like it or not. We but, talked about that. We're both been doing a game night, game nights, all that stuff. Yes. But then COVID happened and then that was just like, you know. But I'm curious, just thinking about it, thinking about you as what I know at work. Do you feel defined by your career 
or do you think of yourself? How would you, how do you define yourself or do you? That's a good question. I will say that there was a season in my life where I felt defined by my career because I'm not sure if you know, you know, I was in administration for several years. Yes. I spent a large amount of my professional career in management at the community college. And, you know, when you are young, where you're still figuring out who you are, your job defines you because, you know, you're still trying to tinker and figure it out. I was 24 when I started off in management. Wow. Uh, fresh out of my master's program and took a director level position. I went through a season in my life where I'm not going to say I was a workaholic, but I feel like that was one of the things that defined me at this season in my life. I don't know if I would just define myself because I feel like there's not quite a box you can put me in. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like having lots of interests and lots of skills and gifts and talents. And in this season, my goal is to cultivate every single one of them. When I close my eyes, my prayer is that I lived my life completely poured out where everything that was given to me, I poured into others. I did, I cultivated and made it better for others. Yeah. That, that That's my hope and my prayer. I think that happens to a lot of us as we get further along in our journey into different seasons in life. I love that you call it seasons. I do feel more at this point in my life, I'm 45 now. I really want to give back. I want to leave something behind. I want to help other people. I want to, I don't want to just do things for myself, though I think it's important that we take care of ourselves and nurture ourselves. But I love that metaphor of, it's almost like a garden, you know, like you're, you're cultivating things. You are. These are times, okay, in our 40s, that's really kind of when you start looking at the psychology side, because, you know, I teach psychology too, mm-hmm. you know, start looking at when you get to your, your 30s and your 40s, these are the times you really get to cultivate your gifts. You may have the resources to cultivate that you didn't have when you were in your 20s and, mm-hmm. you know, and so you get to cultivate things. So I bought a sewing machine because I want to learn how to sew. I started trying to sew and I was so excited about sewing. I was supposed to start sewing classes. I think I showed you I made some pillows. Yeah. I was so excited about my pillows. I was supposed to make some for your office. I didn't forget about that. We <laughs> talked about that. But, you know, I was like, I want to live my life poured out. That's yeah. a, 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 a verse in a song. And God has placed so many gifts and talents in me. I want to figure them out and I want those things to grow. Yeah. You know? It's that, you know, I remember the song when I was a little kid, the one about, oh, uh, hide, uh, hide it under a bushel. And I'm going to let it shine. This little, this little light of mine. Light of mine. That's the same. Don't, don't hide your gifts. Don't, you know, figure out what they are. And that's why I call this podcast where you are. It's after that song, Bright in the Corner, where you are try to brighten the world around you. Now that doesn't mean I don't complain sometimes at work. And that's one of the things that <laughs> that gets on my nerves a little bit about myself is outside of work. I feel so much more in touch with, I don't know, I feel more positive and hopeful. Well, I, even in the midst of all this that's going on. And then sometimes at work, I get, I do get bogged down and I don't even mean specifically where we work just at all jobs. You know, there's always stuff going on and you seem to stay above the fray. I wonder how you do that. Is it just your spiritual nature, your praying, your positivity? I think for me, and I actually, I said this to my mom earlier today, you know, not much ruffles my feathers. You know, if you notice from the moment that you and I met, you know, it's like, you know, even if I'm having a rough day, I have seen some of the worst of the worst in people professionally, Mm -hmm. being in management, when you are in those management roles, I've dealt with so many stressful situations, situations I wouldn't wish upon anyone. I have worked in toxic environments. I have worked in situations to where I felt like I was dying inside. Mm. Situations where I would take my lunch break and cry the entire hour, get myself back together and go back to work. Oh man, that's awful. And I have done that. I've been there. I've done that. And when you are in a place to where, you know, when you've seen the things that I've seen <laughs> and gone through the things that I've gone through, 
I was like, you know what? There's nothing they can say or do that's going to get me to the point where it takes me off center. I am wiser. I'm older um, because I'm 40. I'll be 43 this year in December. I would not wish upon anyone some of the things I've experienced. Yeah. No. However, I knew it was for a purpose. And I will say, you know, my my hope is that now that you can see that light that yeah. when you see me on a good day, it's the same as if you saw me on a bad day and you wouldn't even know the difference. Right. Because my light is the same. That is true of you about you. Thank you. That That's my hope. And, you know, I think, of course, as you get older, I have, you know, my faith is a huge part of who I am. It's, it's at the core of who I am. Absolutely. I know that about you. And one of the things that I've loved about the last few years is getting to know you and other people at work through the diversity committee and some of the work that we've done on that and just getting not even the projects that we've worked on, but just being able to sit and have community, you know, with, with other people from work about something interesting and important like diversity. And that has made work a richer experience for me. I've often said my favorite two things right now about my career are the classroom. I, I love the classroom and the committee work that I do with the diversity committee because of the people that are on it and the friendships that I've made. But I want to talk a little bit about your faith. I grew up in Church of Christ up there in Hulaco, Alabama. We didn't have music or instruments or anything. Where did you, what, what was your church growing up and what, how do you, what are you now? Growing up, up until I was in high school, I attended our family church, which was the United Methodist Church. And my parents met and married in that church. My grandparents were in that church and their siblings. So it was a really, truly a family church. And then when I was in the ninth grade, my mother started attending a non-denominational church. And that was very different for me because United Methodist is, I would say, very structured. You know, you had your affirmations of faith. There was the order of service. And then we moved to a non-denomination church and it was completely different. People were speaking in tongues and you had a whole live band. And that took me a little bit to get adjusted to coming from a United Methodist environment. Yeah. But they had children's church, which is where I gravitated toward. I helped with children's church. And that was kind of a, you know, light bulb for me working with children's church. I'm still non-denomination. I, I consider myself Christian. Mm-hmm. I am still in a non-denomination church. Yeah. And so I've gone to mega churches that have had five plus thousand people. And now I'm in the smallest church I've ever attended. Mm-hmm. There's probably less than 25 members. Mm-hmm. And it has been one of the most rich and rewarding experiences to be able to switch from a church where nobody knew you. You could come and go, and that was part of the thing that turned me off about the experience because, you know, God forbid something happened. Yeah. Who's going to know? Because it's so big, your pastor doesn't even know who you are. They don't know anything about you. They don't know anything about your family. They don't know anything about your gifts, your talents, your nothing. And now I'm in a place where (laughs) they've done drive-bys on me since. COVID saying, hey, we just want to see your face. We're not getting in the car. We just want to see your face. (laughs) Tell you we love you. And you know, just just one extreme to the other. And not saying that mega churches are bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's very intimate and having that intimate relationship and having people of faith that that really support you and encourage you to walk out your destiny, to walk out, you know, hey, that encourage you to to do things and to dream and to kind of cultivate those gifts and talents. It's beautiful to be able to have that type of relationship in your your faith-based community. Yeah, that that sounds great. I love that they do drive-bys on you. I just pictured with a megaphone. Janina. <laughs> they have they have they've done two drive-bys on me, matter of fact, because since COVID, you know, I've been home Yeah. outside of going to the doctor or going, you know, going to the store, the drugstore. 
I've been home. I'm not even going to Mobile. And typically by this time, I would have been to Mobile four times. I would have gone to the beach two or three times already. This has been a huge transition for me because I've not gone to see my family and I'm extremely close to my family. So I hadn't been home since Mardi Gras. Wow. That's got to be hard. I mean, I mean, I know that you're handling it fine, but that seems like it would be hard. It has been hard. You know what? The first, I did pretty well the first four months. Mm-hmm. And I had my my first emotional, like, cried, like, big alligator tears cry <laughs> in June. And I missed my nephew's birthday. Oh. And I, you know, and it was the craziest thing that triggered it. And I mean, I was in the car boohooing. You would have thought I had lost a loved one. And thank God we've not lost anybody to COVID. But it was the fact that I wasn't there. All my family is is in Mobile. I don't have family up here, you know. And so my, my parents, my brother, my niece and nephew, my grandmother, my aunt, everybody's down there. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, they're together and I'm I'm kind of on this island by myself up here. And that's good when you can get off the island. Right. <laughs> but when you when you are um, kind of stranded on the island, it changes the perception. So I've had I've had my moments with it and I have to allow myself to be OK with that because I think that's healthy, you know, to be able to say, OK, you know, this is how I'm feeling today about it. I haven't had many, as I call them, blue funk days. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think, you know, my whole thing is that I want to be here when this thing is over with. And whatever precautions I have to take, if we have to Zoom for Thanksgiving and Christmas, <laughs> for us to be together in 2021, then, hey, we're going to Zoom it all together, right. you know. It's temporary. So, it's a long it's temporary, temporary, but it's temporary. <laughs> Hey, again, my thing is that I want to be here when this thing's over, you know, and I think, and I don't have a problem sharing this, but, you know, I have Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. And so with having Crohn's disease, my, I have a compromised autoimmune system. Right. And so with having that, that compromised autoimmune system, if even before COVID, if everybody got a cold and, and everybody else got a cold, they could still work and function. I would get a cold and it would be debilitating. Right. And I would be, you know, <laughs> ill on my deathbed sick type type thing just because, you know, it just I don't have a active immune system to fight. Right. You know, viruses and things. So I was always a mini germaphobe, but you know, like COVID has just really changed it because if you're already autoimmune compromised, what does that look like if in the event you contract it? And so yeah. I'm like I've kind of adhered to my medical team's recommendations, which is why I'm on my island. Well, you've got to take care of yourself because there's a whole lot of people who love and care about you and do not want anything to happen to you. And you've got a whole program to run at work. (laughs) Yeah, an an entire program. Oh, my gosh. Are you proud of that? You must be so proud of that. That's really grown, right? It is growing. And, you know, I, I think instead of... I'm excited to see how well it's doing, but I, I think more than proud, I'm humbled. I was planted where I am. God gave me the gifts and talents to see this program to where it is. I feel grateful that I'm involved in it, you know, and I, so, so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how it's flourishing. But I also, I'm just, I think more so, I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to say I'm a part of it. One of the things that, one of the reasons I love talking to you all the time, not just for this podcast and not, but like when you come by the office or if we have lunch or whatever, I always learn something from you and you don't mean to, you don't mean to be teaching. But tonight in our conversation, it really occurred to me that as I get older and as I feel like I need to shift in different directions, it doesn't necessarily have to be a career change. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be, it's just that I start trying other, like the podcast or, you know, like you're, you're wanting to learn carpentry or whatever. It's not necessarily the career that needs to change anymore. It's that you need to branch out and do other things in other areas, perhaps. I mean, 
And I think that's important because I'm like, you know, okay, think about it. When we're younger, they want you to try all these different activities to see what you like, right? Try this activity, try this sport. You know, your parents want you want you to be active, do something, but then there becomes a part in our lifetime in which we stop doing all of that. Mm-hmm. There stops being an outlet. Then it just gets to be tunnel vision, work, work, work. Why do we have to stop looking at interests and trying things and figuring out, hey, there's all kinds of things. There may be something. Most people aren't good at cooking when they first start. I'm sure they burn a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> I you know, but, but, you know, it's that, that doing it over and over again, you never know. You, you might be great at something. Something might not be your thing. That's okay, but you at least you tried. Children are allowed to try. Adults don't get that opportunity as often. Yeah, I think that's really important. I really do. Well, as we get toward the end of our hour, 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 we're going to have to do a series of these, I think, because there's all kinds of stuff we didn't talk about that I want to talk about. But I do get halfway down your list. No, (laughs) the stuff that could get us in trouble, we didn't get to. The stuff I wanted to ask you that I didn't get to, a lot of it dealt with just what we're going through right now as a nation, as a culture. And, but I do wonder, how is that affecting you? How are you dealing with things that are going on in the news? I don't mean that you have to be all political if you don't want to be, but how, are you, how do you emotionally deal with what's going on in the world right now? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you. I had to disconnect earlier today. Mm. I was completely heartbroken with the Breonna Taylor's verdict today with the the attorney general. I had to, when I say just unplug, because I was heart, I'm heartbroken because I see the division. I'm heartbroken because you're seeing the ugly side of people, you know, I'm heartbroken because sometimes you had one perception of, of this person and now you're seeing that ugly side come out and you're conflicted about, I've always been taught when somebody shows you who they are, you're supposed to believe them. Right. So it's almost like a mourning because you're mourning the death of friendships and relationships or friendships that you thought were, you you know, like it broke my heart to, to see the verdict and all I, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. After the verdict, after I cried, I prayed for those families, her family, the officer's families, everyone connected. And then I prayed that with the demonstration that nobody else loses their life through the demonstration, that they remain peaceful. So seeing this dark, ugly side of where our society is has been really heartbreaking. But I also feel like it's necessary because, you know, you can't keep putting band-aids on wounds thinking it's going to heal the problem. The, The wound is still very much there. And we have to have the hard conversations. We can have hard conversations respectfully. We have to, it's not an issue. You can't just tell someone that happened I didn't have anything to do with that. Right. You know, however, there are still things that are microaggressions that you're still doing. And I think that it's my hope is that this helps healing come about. I will say that I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm. But I think in history, any time that major change happens, it's not change that just happens easily. Um, you know, we've seen that changed. historically. Exactly. You know, and so I rather us go through the fire to be able to come out of the fire in a better place yeah. than keep it smoldering for the next 40, 50, 60 years. You know, it's ridiculous that things that my grandfather experienced 60 years ago are things that we're experiencing today. It's sad, you know, I've worked in a lot of pockets in Alabama. Although I went to the University of Alabama, I've never experienced a racial situation, ever. I mean, like, 
I had some of my best experiences there. Mm-hmm. But working in rural areas in Alabama, I experienced lots of different racial situations and blatant situations. And it was, it, you know, things are, are sometimes angering. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it really makes you mad. I mean, you'd be like, you know, gosh darn it. I, you know? Yeah. yeah. But then at the same time, for me, I've really... I even see it sometimes in my students' writings. And I have to censor myself because that can be a rabbit hole. And taking that we're in the online environment, sometimes you can have meaningful conversations and dialogue in a face-to-face setting that doesn't translate to the online world. Yeah. But it's it's been disheartening. It, it honestly, what I'm seeing, we're seeing the ugly side of people. But I think on the flip side, like, like you I like I absolutely adore you you know and when I talk to mom I don't ask me why I call you Jimmy Bean I do I called you Jimmy Bean and I was like that's like my term of endearment for you and I don't know why I love it but I was like Jimmy Bean I love I love my Jimmy Bean and so you know I think even in the midst of some of the darkness there are people like you that are light that have such a beautiful spirit and that are just genuine and sincere and care about you as a person outside of your orientation, outside of your ethnicity that just cares about people. That's been the thing that I think I have drawn more to is the people that are in my community and my circle that have those similar characteristics, those people that just are light, those people that are just genuinely caring and loving and, you know, no matter their race and their their beliefs and their orientations and you know and so I think if especially with COVID it makes you value those people more yeah you know it does and I'm with you I think it'll get worse before it gets better and I think a large part of the problem I think the well the biggest part of the problem and I say this as a white male is that why a lot, a majority, I would think of white people just don't see the extent of the problem or don't even think it is a problem. And it's the, it's a lot of people who, who actually mean really well, I think, and just don't understand history or things like microaggressions, current, current things that still happen. I think that a lot of people, white people think it's all in the past and that we, if we would just stop talking about it, it wouldn't be a problem. I've heard students say that. If we would just stop talking about it, it wouldn't be a problem anymore. I'm like, well, that's mm, that's not true. You don't stop talking about a disease and it goes away. I mean, <laughs> that's just my little two cents on that. Well, I agree. I agree completely. And I think sometimes it's very hard when we see our students think that way, because sometimes it's not so much our students thinking it's their upbringing. Right. Because, you know, when they get to us, one thing I love about our classes is that sometimes we're challenge, challenging them to think independently where, you know, okay, how do you feel about this topic? Let me show you this. Let me show you that. So much of what, you know, we get a college student in, you know, still living under their parents' roof, you know, their beliefs are their parents' beliefs. Right. And we're challenging those beliefs and challenging them to think for themselves. Here's what I think. I'm going to wrap this up. I think that Janina and Jimmy Bean need to have their own like monthly podcast. We could do one a month and we have an issue and we could have expert guests if we wanted to. I'm I'm throwing that out there into the the big universe. I am so good with that, Jimmy. (laughs) I I mean, because I mean, I was looking forward to this, I guess I was like, I just miss seeing you. I just miss yeah. talking to you and seeing you. So like, to me, I was like, we're, we're just chit-chatting. Yeah, this is what we do. Everybody listening, we just chit-chat. Sometimes it's deep and sometimes it's not. <laughs> you know, like I didn't even get to get to my story about what I wanted to do in my field and, and how I, I turned all through and, and, you know, I was like, I had that on my little list. I'm telling you, uh, you should see, uh, we'll do another, we're going to at least do another episode, whether we have our own podcast or not. We will have another episode with Janina and Jimmy Bean. And that's what we're going to start calling it. (laughs) Did you know that I called you Jimmy Bean? No, but I love it. And I'm going to adopt it.
I, and I don't know, and I don't know why, but I just, I was like, oh, it, I'm surprised you hadn't heard me call you Jimmy B. I, and I don't know, <laughs> but it's just my term of endearment. I don't know. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to fit here. I'm going to stop recording and then I'll talk to you for a second. So that's the end of our podcast. I've really enjoyed it. And we're going to do another one, everybody. Where You Are was created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. Our intro is Small Piano from the Ant Hill album by Patricia Taxon. All music was used with permission. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution for which I have ever worked or will ever work. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day wherever you are.